J.G. Bookerman here, another incredible author from Booked Industries. Do you enjoy intelligent, insightful, in-depth analysis of high-minded literature? Uh, no. Would you rather listen to real, crude, and often lewd rambling regarding some of the daddiest, nastiest, poopiest genre fiction around? Well, yes. Well, then do I have the product for you? We're introducing the Booked Podcast. For a minimal monthly donation, you can listen to two guys tell you about the books they're reading. How much of a donation, you ask? Well, normally, a premium program such as this would run you at least $159.99. What a bargain. But I'm willing to offer it to you today for the low, low price of one American dollar. What? Yeah, that? Roger's speechless. But that's not all, folks, because if you act now, you also receive bonus content. It could be an author interview. It could be gossip girl commentary. It could even be lunch with Livius. Not bloody likely. So to get the booked podcast, plus the bonus content. The 188 booked. Again, it's 188-B-O-O-K-E-D, period. Don't delay. Donate today. Do not call. Not a real phone number. Visit bookedpodcast.com and click on the donate link. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. A very little bit about the author. Josh is the lead singer and songwriter for the rock band High Strung, and he lives in Ferndale, Michigan. That's the whole bio. Yeah, what Mr. Mallerman um, sacrificed in his bio was then put into this following synopsis (laughs) for Bird Box. (laughs) Let me settle in here for this. Something is out there. Something terrifying that must not be seen. One glimpse and a person is driven to deadly violence. No one knows what it is or where it came from. Five years after it began, a handful of scattered survivors remain, including Mallory and her two young children. Living in an abandoned house near the river, she has dreamed of fleeing to a place where they might be safe. Now that the boy and girl are four, it's time to go. But the journey ahead will be terrifying. 20 miles downriver in a rowboat, blindfolded, with nothing to rely on but her wits and the children's trained ears. One wrong choice and they will die. And something is following them. But is it man, animal, or monster? Engulfed in darkness, surrounded by sounds both familiar and frightening, Mallory embarks on a harrowing odyssey. A trip that takes her into an unseen world and back into the past, to the companions who once saved her. Under the guidance of the stalwart Tom, a motley group of strangers banded together against the unseen terror, creating order from the chaos. But when supplies ran low, they were forced to venture outside and confront the ultimate question. In a world gone mad, who can really be trusted? Do you notice the typo in the synopsis? Um, no. A motley group. Oh, 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 yeah. You know what? I skimmed over it because I saw it was underlined, but I think was, I thought it was because it didn't have the, the, what is it, the German O with the two dots. <laughs> like the band Motley Crue? Yeah. The Umulot or whatever? It, sure. The Mo- the Motley Crue O. <laughs> the Vince Neil O. Isn't that what it's called? <laughs> um, uh, okay. Uh, All right. Even What'd Motley Crue doesn't spell it that way. The Helmulot? The What? It's a umulot um, um, or something. Umulot. Okay. U M U L something. I don't know. Word snob. I try to keep myself as snobby as possible at all times. Thought we'd be aware of this by now. You actually have to put effort into it, huh? 
Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> I gotta wake up in the morning and I'd be like, "All right, how am I gonna be snobby today? How am I better than everybody?" All right, so Bird Box. I would definitely say this. This is horror, right? I mean, there's there's really no no other. You know, we talked about some of the other books we reviewed, and we we're like, "Well, this can kind of be horror. This is just straight up horror." Yeah, uh, uh, the only way you could get away with describing it accurately and not saying horror would possibly be thriller or suspense. But, I mean, dude, it's straight up, it's scary as shit. Yeah, where was this book in October when we were trying to chase down scary books? Um, I think we knew about it. Yeah, <laughs> it was there. It was us. I'm going to take the blame on that one. But, um, yeah, it's pretty scary stuff. And, and the uh, tell me, I actually did read the synopsis for this before I read the book this time. Um, do you think the synopsis is a helpful synopsis? Um, yeah, and here's here's why. Because I also read, I don't think I read the whole thing beforehand. But um, in this case, I don't know. the The title doesn't has. There's no indication of what right. this book is. Bird Box means nothing. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It, it doesn't give you immediately any type of ideas to this being horror and stuff. So this time, I would say that without the synopsis, I, I don't know that I would have. I mean, we're reviewing this for the podcast, so it's a little different. But talk about a situation where a synopsis would have turned me into somebody who wanted to read this book. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the only issue I had was when I read the synopsis originally. Some of it was confusing, like at the beginning when it says um, something terrifying that must not be seen. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's used in like a metaphorical way, or like you know, and like you know, not being literal. But this is a very literal, like people cannot see things; otherwise, bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it wasn't really, I didn't really get oh. what, what was going on. It was just too kind of confusing for me. But then once I was into the book a little bit, I was thinking, oh man, yeah, this totally makes sense. I get it. So the book kicks off, uh, much like the synopsis with uh, with Mallory and her two young children who are born into a, I guess at that point you can kind of call it post-apocalyptic. I mean, a good majority of the, the population is gone um, in she is just about had enough of, of being stuck in this house and she's running along supplies and stuff and decides um, to, to venture out into the world with a specific um, direction in mind, although that it doesn't become clear until much, much later in the book. Yeah, and very early on, the, the format of the book is established where we kind of see uh, two storylines. There's the present day storyline and then there's the flashback storyline. So the the flashback basically encompasses everything that led up to the moment where she decides to make this journey. Um, and that includes uh, the very innocent times before, I don't know what you want to call it, but like these weird problems start happening where people will see something and then they go crazy and um, kill each other. Um, so you kind of get to see how that slowly, maybe not so slowly unfolds. Um, and her personal life and how it's affected uh, in the in the flashback uh, storyline, uh, concurrent with her current struggles and um, her actions that she takes to get to this kind of like place she needs to get to to be, I guess, safer. Yeah, I really like the way that unfolded in um, 
like Rob kind of mentioned, it, it all happened pretty quick, but it was like, oh, there's like this YouTube video that people have been showing that people are saying is fake. It's from Russia. And then there's like a legitimate report from Russia where something happens and then it happens in Canada. And the next thing you know, like shit's happening in your backyard. I like how that everybody's breaking point for like, oh, shit, it's real is Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, once it gets to, to the U.S. soil, right? I mean, let's face it. How, how concerned are most of us with what's going on in the rest of the world? Well, apparently Russia, not at all. No, not at all. Russia, Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. We a little hot button there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, when it gets closer to home, we start to care. And um, Mallory starts to care. She, she has a sister that she's living with who um, is a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, I think, at heart. You know, so she kind of bites into it right away. Mallory's a little more hesitant to believe these things. But then all of a sudden it's occurring like right in in their neighborhood. So um, I don't think this is really spoiling anything, right? If we talk about what happens between the two of them. No, I think that's fine. So Mallory's sister sees something. Apparently looks out the window one day, sees something and goes crazy and kills herself, which is another thing. So when people go crazy, they will attack anybody who's nearby, but then ultimately will kill themselves. So it's not um, it's not the type of book that, you know, when you read this, you think, oh, yeah, this kind of reminds me of The Walking Dead or, oh, this reminds me of this. There isn't an active attacking presence in this book. It's it's kind of passive. So there's there's people that are crazy. But they're crazy for a short time and they kill themselves. So it's not necessarily like when you're in a zombie uh, book, film, TV show or whatever, where, you know, there, there's an active threat. The threat is more passive. As long as you don't look at anything. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge part of this. Like, uh, I mean, the entire suspense and and horror of the book is that once it kind of becomes a reality to everybody that if you see something and nobody knows what it is because anybody that sees it doesn't last very long, um, that the bad thing will happen to you your really only option for survival is to lock yourself inside and never look outside. So you basically, if you do anything outside of your house, basically an enclosed area that you know is sealed off that things can't get into, um, you're okay to look around and just kind of live normally. But once you go outside, all bets are off and you have to be blindfolded basically, or um, you might see this thing that nobody knows what it is. That's going to, to, to drive you nuts. So, you have to imagine a world and like he does one thing that Josh does incredibly in this book is just to put you in the shoes of these people who um, not only are their lives, you know, they're basically living in a post-apocalyptic world, um, but they also live in just constant paralyzing fear of seeing something they don't know. Um, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how tense the situation is. You know, when you put it that way, I realized I do just fine in this world because I live a lot of my life that way anyway. I don't really look like, outside. I only go outside when I absolutely have to. You get blankets uh, nailed to the to the walls around your windows well, and stuff? It's so much cheaper than getting curtains. I got to tell you, man, you know, you can get a real cheap blanket <laughs> to put on your window. <laughs> like 10 bucks a drapery, target. Drapery panels, man. It's like $100 per window. So I don't know why everybody doesn't just have blankets up. It's that old, like, 1970s brown blanket that's, like, the, the shape of a, a lion, right? You know what I'm talking about? No. All right. No, I have regular normal blankets on my windows. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, 
Yeah, so Mallory ventures out. Um, she finds a, um ad in the paper that was brought to her attention weeks before, but she kind of tracks it back down, and it's basically someone that placed an ad um, before it all went really, really bad, saying, hey, you know, we're a group of, you know, people that are trying to band together to survive, uh, you know, show up. So she uh, takes on this treacherous journey of like, five miles. Um, but what makes it terrifying is, is that she has to use her vision very limitedly. And it's something we're going to talk about a little later, maybe when we get into quotes, and I'm sure it'll come up. But Rob said that he does a good job of, you know, putting you in the in that situation. And I think that's true. And I think this book is even more horrifying because there are times where I kind of stopped. I sat back a little bit, closed my eyes and tried to think about how I would do these things, how I would go about doing them. And, uh, I, I, man, even getting through your own house, I think, can be a challenge. You know, like you go, oh, yeah, well, it's my house. I know every, every nook cray. No, I don't think you do. And I didn't try this, but it occurred to me. <laughs> that I don't think I could actually make it downstairs, like into the kitchen without either running into something or, or fall. You know what I mean? Like if you really sit back and think about losing your vision, it's terrifying enough. But if you think that the option of going crazy you know what I mean? Versus willingly giving up your vision when you go outside or when you do certain things or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. Yeah. And, um, nobody wants to be in that post-apocalyptic, the world has gone nuts and I can't look at things outside situation because that's awful enough. Right. Um, but it's even more awful because Mallory's pregnant. So she has to enter into this post-apocalyptic world, um, knowing that she's bringing a life, uh, a new life into it as well. So, um, that's, <laughs> that's just like, you know, it couldn't possibly get any worse than, than it does. So, uh, she basically shows up on the front door of this, uh, this house that was, uh, in the advertisement, um, visibly she's showing right by the time she gets there. Yes. Yes. It's obvious yeah, when she gets there. Four months. Yeah. And, um, basically begs them to, not begs, but shows up asking for, for shelter and safety, uh, for them to take her in. And, um, there's the process of, of, uh, getting from outside to inside safely and everything. And then once she's inside, they're like, bam, you're pregnant. So, um, there's a little bit of hesitation on their part as far as, um, you know, things are, are tight. The situation is tense enough and, and difficult enough as it is. And now, they have a pregnant woman, you know, in the mix. So that's another f mouth to feed down the road and stuff like that. So, um, pretty much everything is just as tense and crazy as possible in the book. Yeah. And so when she gets to the house, I think that some of that is kind of standard fare in these situations. You have the different personalities and different ideas on how they should survive. And there's obviously somebody who's kind of like the leader, what makes all of that portion or that, you know, almost half of the book that takes place, you know, in the past five years ago or four years ago or whatever it is, um, is that they have some really specific challenges that they have to face. So, again, you know, to, to you know, compare it to other post-apocalyptic books, usually there's, you know, there's an active presence. So, like, we can go outside if we have enough bullets um, and if, they're, you know, we look outside and there's not a lot of zombies and we could do it. This is things like, how do we get water from the well that's, you know, like 150 feet out the back door <laughs> into yeah. the house? It's like a different challenge than you would have in almost any other post-apocalyptic book. And that's what's interesting is the way that, that Josh or, you know, in this case, the characters kind of come up with 
different ways to um, you know protect themselves or feed themselves or, or, or carry out the tasks that need carrying out in, in that type of world. Yep, and then um, and we're basically talking about the uh, the past storyline right now, um, but there's also the the present day storyline, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit. But um, after uh, she's at the the house for a while, there. I mean, the past storyline probably covers the course of um, pretty much her pregnancy. I'd yeah. say. Yep. So yep. you know, less than a year ish, and. Um, in the months that she's living in the house, essentially they have to deal with, um, there's kind of like a, a nice balance is struck, but then another person shows up. And, and so like, um, it's another woman who's pregnant <laughs> and, um, then another person shows up. So there's these people, there's constantly people being added. Well, not constantly, but there are people being added to the house and the, the kind of harmony that, that they strike is challenged from time to time. So, um, they, they go from, uh, the the everybody's got their chores and they're working together to just kind of survive together. To suddenly there's some mistrust and you know uh, you know think people might not be as forthcoming as as they they you know present themselves to be and stuff like that. So uh, it goes from being this is our our safe haven and and our our one chance at survival to you know there's people I can't trust in here. So everything is pretty much at risk kind of leading toward the end of the, the, pre, the past uh, storyline. Mm -hmm. So again, just as a reminder, you're kind of getting the, the past and the present um, back and forth. So throughout all of this, Mallory is embarked on this journey um, with her two young children. Now, the, the best part about that is totally, in my opinion, the kids. So yeah. children can learn far, far, far more quickly and, and more at one time than any adult can. But the fact that she's able to raise them for this specific situation kind of makes them for really interesting characters. And, and I don't want to say that a huge part of the past story or the present storyline is about the kids, but the, some of the best, in my opinion, was definitely the children. Yeah, and it's really a testament to what I, you know, we all kind of tend to think from time to time is the adaptability of, of people. Um you can live in very like we at least uh, Livius and I definitely have you know easy lives we don't live difficult lives but you know in the right situations we would be able to adapt to some pretty extreme situations and um, it really highlights the the crazy adaptability of of us in the in the face of like you know needing to survive uh, but yeah so what Mallory does to help prepare the kids is harsh but what they benefit from because of it is pretty pretty incredible can i give an example of course when they're babies and as soon as they woke up and opened their eyes like mallory would smack them for opening their eyes till they would learn to wake up and not open their eyes upon immediately upon awaking which you would think is just like not even something that you could control Right, exactly, and as I said, it's just it's 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 pretty genius on Mallory slash Josh's part, however you want to look at it, um, to to do that. But yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a bit of that training that that they cover in the in the present portion of the book, and, and as Rob said, harsh, but man, great stuff. I mean, it just just made for fantastic storytelling. I think. Yep, 
and I don't know how much more much more story we can cover, but the the present day stuff is essentially her journey leaving the house that she's been in uh, to go to what is kind of like a promised safe haven that kind of you know like a destination that it's going to be a better life, but it's a really dangerous trip to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about all we can do as far <laughs> as. as, as specific story stuff goes uh so as far as like some general thoughts about the book i know i said it a few times and and the reason i said it a few times is because it's the overwhelming feeling of the book is that it's very tense and um it's not a gory well i don't want to say it's not a gory book because there are moments but uh, the majority of the book is is very mundane situations where the tension level is just ramped up insanely because there's no such thing as security left in the world. Um, the moment you leave what you believe is your safe place and you're outside, you have no vision to rely on. And it's just, and you're basically in a world that's crazy. You're up against what you might think are creatures or monsters or, you know, figments of your imagination or whatever that are going to drive you insane. And on top of that, you're in a world where it's kind of every person for themselves. So you have to, you know, and then wild animals and everything. So, like, you are just basically the biggest target possible when you leave a, a house or whatever. So in any moment where the most mundane of tasks, like Livia said, going out to the well to get water, is some of the most frightening stuff I've ever read because uh, the tension that is built up and just, like, the suspense of someone just trying to do something as simple as like feeding birds, but because of the situation they're in, they don't know if they're going to come back from that. So it's really, really creepy. Yeah. And part of what I think makes that so creepy is not just, you know, the monster's going to get you, but the fact that, you know, it's going to basically turn your brain, you know, into mush that's going to make you super violent and then turn on yourself. Right. So there's there's the whole creep factor of, you know, you could say the same thing like, oh, okay, what if it's a blind person in, um, you know, Friday the 13th movie? Yes, equally as terrifying, I would think, except for the fact that that death would come and it would just be over. And I think part of the numerous characters in the book kind of address that that dread of, you know, having them turned against themselves. So I think it's almost a worse fate. On top of the fact that, yeah, it's just super fucking scary that you can't see anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> that yeah. you can't see what's coming for you. Yeah, and you can't trust yourself. Yep. Um, yeah, it's creepy as hell. It is one of the creepiest books I've read in a long time. So, and we've talked a lot about the, uh, I don't know, the cause of, of the insanity and stuff. The monsters, as we'll call it. Um, but... I guess we didn't because we talk about their absence, right? And the ability, the, the, the not seeing them. Um, it's kind of weird because we as, as readers also don't get to see them. So we really get this from, from the, the point of view of whichever protagonist at the moment we're following. You know, if it's one of the, the, one of Mallory's housemates, you know, again, going out to get water at the well, or if it's Mallory herself. So interestingly enough, we're put in that situation because we don't see the monsters either. And I'm not really sure. I know that it's scarier that way. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the the movie The Blair Witch Project, and I'll I'll let the listeners do their collective groan when <laughs> I say that. Um, 
because I thought that was just goddamn terrifying. And part of it was was similar to this book. It's the not seeing. So you go, you know, you go through that movie and you don't see what what the the you know doing the quotes what the Blair Witch is, um, and you don't necessarily find out either. Um, but that being said, they're pretty interesting in in how they affect us. You know, so there is some talk about them in the book. Like, do they know they're doing this? Are they doing it on purpose? What's their reasoning for doing this? So. Did we need more of an exploration into the um, into the actual motives and the creatures themselves? Do you think maybe that's forthcoming in a sequel? I would hope not. And and here's here's what I've been thinking about it. There's a couple of things. Um, first of all, the not knowing um, kind of emulates. It, it's weird to think about because like. Um, we're not seeing anything because we're reading a book. So we're using our imagination, but the lack of a description or a solid understanding of what it is kind of replicates the blindness of the characters in the book. So, um, it's kind of the best tool for really getting the point across about how hopeless, um, anybody would be against whatever it happens to be. Um, it also really amps up the moments where, someone's outside and they think their mind's playing tricks on them or maybe the mind's not playing tricks on them like i feel like something might have touched my shoulder or i think i heard something you know snapping a twig in the forest and you can explain it away and it and that was one of the cool things is like how people almost felt comfort in explaining it away because it's way better than thinking i could have been standing right next to something that if i looked at it i'd go crazy so um I think I think personally that not that kind of leaving that ambiguity there was was a, a large part of um why the book works so well for me and um do I wanna know? Sure. Like it would be cool if Josh was just like off the record, he's like, All right, here's what I had in my mind. Um but uh I don't know. I don't know. I think it that was like one of the best parts of the book. Oh, we should probably mention it now. We are going to have Josh on. It won't be on this episode. And I'm being really quiet because as we're talking, I'm typing out more questions. Not because I'm just not paying attention, but I'm like, you know what? I have a question for that guy. <laughs> so, um, Rob, I'm going to ask you the same question. How well would you do in that world? How well do I think I would do or how well yeah. I really do? No, no, how well do you think you would do? Uh, well, we know I would just die immediately if it was a zombie apocalypse. Um... <laughs> Again, it's it's... This is this is passive. I could probably live for months and months without leaving a room if right. I had like kind of the things I needed. So that's the thing. I feel like I'm a very um, I'm an endurance based person. Like when I'm doing anything, um, a, co- a, co- a continuation of that activity is an easy thing for me to do. So um, that includes like depriving myself of things. So I think in that situation, like if I just knew survival was based on not seeing, I could just go without seeing. Um, it would be difficult and terrifying, but, um, I feel like I could adapt to something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'd be fine as long as the Netflix stayed on. <laughs> yeah. As long as Netflix was still around. Yeah. Wi-Fi. As long as you had Wi-Fi. I think, yeah. I think it'd be all right. Oh man. What <laughs> if like, what if monsters came through the Wi-Fi? You'd be, you'd be boned. Oh dude, there is totally an author right now listening, going, I've got my next, I've got my next story. <laughs> scooped us yep it's so. uh it's uh tony g <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> 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 
Wi-Fi monsters are blowing up. <laughs> All right, we're going to move into the quote section. Um, I'm going to go first here. I don't have a lot of quotes, um, and, and I, I don't have anything to attribute that to because I, I really enjoyed this book. So, um, But the first one I want to do isn't so much for how it's written. Um, it's kind of talk a little bit about some of the terror um, in the book. Earlier, we talked about the, you know, the harrowing journey down the river 20 miles or whatever, which I, I was, was scary. But I found this passage, uh, along with other passages, more so in the past that I found personally to be scarier. And, and this is one of the things when I talked about, like thinking about just walking through my own home blindfolded or, or with my eyes closed. But this is um, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Despite the precautions, driving without seeing was horrifying. The wagoneer bounced violently as she ran things over she'd never be able to identify. Twenty times she struck the curb. Twice she hit poles. Once a parked car. It was pure, horrible suspense. With every click of the odometer, she expected a collision, an injury, tragedy. By the time she returned home, her nerves were shattered. She was empty-handed and unconvinced she had the metal to try it again. I don't think I'd have the metal to try that once. Hey, I had that quote too. <laughs> That's one of the moments that I, I literally sat back, kind of closed my eyes, thought mm -hmm. about that, and was like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> uh, you don't like driving anyway, though, so if that's no Well, yeah, that's doubly, yeah. If I, you know, I can't see anything, just forget it. <laughs> uh, this is a quick one, but I liked it. Uh, in her private darkness, her heart beats louder. And I imagine that would be pretty much every fucking moment of living in this terrible world. Yes. Um, this is uh, very early on in the book. Um, Mallory is kind of, um, she's thinking about her children and, and, and the things that she's doing for them on a, on a daily basis. You are saving their lives for a life not worth living. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that, like I said, that's 2% of the book. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to like this. That whole thought around what that means and everything, the deeper kind of thought around that and everything that goes into that is just a really sobering thought, the whole situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I just have one other quote. Livius had one of mine, which I'm not going to hold against him. Um, and the, the, the third one I was thinking of doing spoils the shit out of something. So um, that has to stay between us. So here's my other quote that I have. And um, I haven't thought about the quotes. The reason I don't have a ton is because... Uh, like I was saying before, um, a lot of the suspense and the terror of the whole book is building fright into very mundane situations. So it's not necessarily a very wordy book because all of the suspense and the horror is built into simple things. And it's just the, the, the danger of, of every situation in life that, that makes it so tense. So he didn't need to be very wordy or careful with like how he phrased things because um, the basicness of it built into the horror of it. But there were some shining moments, and this is a quote that I really dug. <clears throat> the moment between deciding to open your eyes and then actually doing it is as scary a thing as there is in the new world. Yeah, mine is um, mine is along those same lines. So I'm gonna let Rob's uh, Rob's uh, setup there kind of cover mine too. I'm gonna do the couple sentences before just to kind of give you an idea of why I thought this was so brilliant. Um, this is Mallory on the river. More sticks break. It moves slowly. Mallory thinks of the house they've left behind. They were safe there. Why did they leave? Is the place they are heading going to be any safer? How could it be? 
in a world where you can't open your eyes, isn't a blindfold all you could ever hope for? Crazy, dude. Yeah, that's crazy good shit. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. That's my wrap-up. <laughs> Indeed. Good stuff. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, you want to you want to do the wrap up first this time, and then I'll follow up. Sure. I'll bet clean up or whatever sport term you want to use. Absolutely. Um, I want to say thank you to Nikki Gerling for bringing this book to our attention. Um, I kind of seen people talk about it, but um, I'll be honest, it, it it a little bit suffers from from title. Um, Bird Box doesn't um, makes perfect sense after you read the book. Um, doesn't do a whole lot to, to really draw you in, or at least it didn't for me. And it took uh, it took Nikki Gerling's recommendation for me to say, all right, if she says this stuff's really good, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to pull the trigger on this and review it. So uh, thank you, Nikki Gerling. Um, man, this is the best horror book we've uh, we've read this year. I mean, that's that's a pretty simple way to put it. Um, <laughs> terrifying, uh, fairly original concept, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, I haven't read anything like this, a post-apocalyptic world where you can't open your eyes. Um, but like Rob said, some of it was so simple that, you know, a lot of times terrifying has to be kind of elaborate. And this wasn't didn't have to be at all. Literally, you can't open your eyes. Now go do mundane tasks and see how well you pull it off. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty scary. I think it was served well by uh, batting back and forth between um, the past and the present um, and that it was uh, laid out. Um, well enough that both were interesting um I, I did kind of like the past better but i didn't mind the present if that makes sense i kind of was looking forward to getting back to the past scenes but that wasn't uh, to say to negate the the quality of the present so yeah i thought provoking on numerous levels um I, i'm sure that at times i read six seven eight books in a row where i don't think like oh what would i do in this situation you just kind of read them and take them in that doesn't mean they're not good they're just written differently um this one to at least put me in, I would believe, a lot of other um, readers in, into the position where they had to ask themselves some pretty tough questions about how they would handle certain situations. So um, what can I say, man? This thing was terrifying. Uh, as far as, uh, as as horror books go, I, I got to give this five stars. All right. Let's see how it fares for me. Um, yeah, Nikki Gerling was gushing about this book, and um, if there's anything we know about her is that her recommendations are pretty spot on. She is the reason that we read uh, the Annihilation book by Jeff Vandermeer and had him on the podcast, and that was a great time. Um, wish I had time to get to the rest of that Southern Reach trilogy. Hopefully we'll have a break and I can get to that sometime soon. But anyway, Nikki really, you know... I mean, she she pimps our podcast all the time in the book anthology, so obviously she's got incredible taste. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I always take her very seriously, and she was she was adamant about us checking this out. So uh, glad we did, and um, it's just it's an incredibly suspenseful. Like I was thinking about this earlier uh, when I the two words that I think I would put most highly on it would be suspense and thriller, and. I'd be hard-pressed to think of a, another book that I would call a thriller in the way that I call this. Like, a thriller because it's just, like, so high-energy, constant. Like, you feel like, you know, like your muscles clenching because you're so nervous about what's going to happen. Um, so it really does have a lot of emotional impact um, on you. And the story is just so nicely woven together with uh, the two different story, the timelines. Um leading up to inevitably what happens and 
and and the, uh, just a great job of of holding back information, um, just to keep us all kind of figuratively in the dark, where the characters are actually literally in the dark. Um, it was all just done very very well um, as a first novel. I think he hit it out of the park. He hit the park out of the park. He hit the whole like he hit it, and then like the whole park went with out of the park. Like the whole thing's gross. gone. This guy never watches baseball in case anybody has to freak out. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I just like I'm on a campaign to ruin uh, sports metaphors, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, it, for a first book, it's incredible, and just as a book in in, in general, it's really good. Um, I would recommend it to pretty much anybody, and I've already been recommending it to people since I finished it last night. So I'm going to go with Livius. This is definitely a five star read. Pleasantly surprised, to be honest. <laughs> you were like, "This is going to be a pile of crap." No, I just, I like I said, I kind of was like, you know what, Nikki said, read it, read it, and I didn't have any expectations, which sometimes I think is the key to just finding stuff that's great is having zero expectations yeah not, not low expectations just not having any right very cool so yeah our schedules um to be fair we gave um josh all of like six hours notice <laughs> <laughs> if he could be on to be part of this because rob and i've had some well, i don't know about rob but i've had some pretty hectic schedules um the last the last week or so and that but might be will... him pulling up outside my apartment right now it could be it could be close your eyes <laughs> um so we will have him on. We're not exactly sure when. Um, it may get lumped into another episode. Um, it may be its own episode. Um, we'll see. So, um, But, yeah, definitely some questions for, for this guy. And not your standard fair questions. I've got, I've got some good ones, I think, already. Yeah. Sometimes this is one of those books that I wish we could just talk about anything because there are some moments that I really want to talk to people about. <laughs> but... I will say that um, I'm kind of sorry that the This Is Horror um, podcast awards closed like the day before I finished reading this book because I would have nominated for Best Horror Book of the Year. Oh, yeah. So that's done? Did we get nominated? When are we going to find out? I don't out? know. We're going to find out when? Soon. Soon. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we did. I mean, I, I know at least a couple of people said. I don't know how many emails you have to send in to get there. Mm-hmm. They have to receive to get nominated. Um, but they did, and I don't know if they did in previous years or me. I just didn't read it. They were like, you can't nominate something if you're affiliated with it. And I was like, oh, crap. So I didn't that. self-nominate this time. Uh, they got wise to your, to your ways. So, so we'll yeah, see. hopefully we'll be on the ballot for podcast of the year. We could, uh, that would be the third. If we get on there, it'd be the third year in a row. And hopefully we could pick up our second award for it. It'd be nice. Yep. Yeah, because we don't have a book or anything that can win this year. I know, and we did not become tattoo artists like we threatened to. No, no, tattoo artist of the year. Um, no, but yeah, so definitely, I mean, I'm sure you guys know that if that happens, you'll hear about it for the entire duration of the voting period. That's right, we will just not stop. But, you know, that'll more to come on that, more to come. In the meantime, send us your hard-earned money. That's right, so uh, as of this episode, episode two. I think 29, the Bird Box episode. Uh, anybody who is contributing monthly to the Booked Podcast will get on the Patreon website uh, twenty-four at least a 24-hour lead on anybody else for listening to new episodes. So we will be posting new episodes 
Um, typically, we go up at 6 a.m. Uh, for regular posts, so at least 6 a.m. the day before uh, for Patreon uh, contributors to get a, to an early look at, listen at, I guess, not a look at, but a listen at the new episodes. And what does this mean as well? Regular schedule episodes. That's right. Now that we actually are responsible to other people, we're going to get on a regular schedule. We are, and that schedule will be, if you are a non-Patreon subscriber, um, you'll get it on Tuesday. That's right. Monday. Monday morning for all the Patreon uh, contributors, everybody else, you're waiting until Tuesday morning. Yep. So, so what? How can you get? How can you get that special early access? As little as a dollar a month. Patreon.com/slash/booked pledge, and um, then you'll have access as a as a as a patron to any of the early episodes and also any other um, content that we make exclusive to the Patreon contributors. I do believe there will be video content coming. Probably early next year. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, Monday is December 1st, so that's not very far off. So, yeah, lots of cool stuff coming up. We have a special episode in the works that will be only for Patreon um, listeners. That'll be a lot of fun. I'm not going to talk about that just yet since we don't have all parties involved. Um, don't know that they're doing it yet. But Maybe they're including it. me because I don't know what you're talking about. But they're doing it. So, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Um, but Rob, I promised it to the Patreon people. All right, that's fine. But I just don't that's know. What all, no, that's what I'm saying. That's all I have to do now when I want to do all something right. weird is just say that I promised to them, and you're like, "Fuck, all right." It's so. not like I'm not already the biggest pushover in the world. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, oh, but but enough about Patreon for a little bit. Um, we have an event coming up in just one week from uh, the time you're hearing this, non-Patreon subscriber. Yeah, Noir at the Bar, Chicago. Uh, assembled, put together, whatever, created by Jake Hinkson. Um, Quencher's Saloon, uh, December 9th, 6 p.m., with a whole bunch of bitches reading uh, some crazy offensive stuff. And we will be your MCs for the evening. We will be the rare public appearance of the book podcast. Can you any guesses what kind of shirt I'll be wearing? Well, we got it. So, if you wear your book shirt, I'm not wearing mine. Are you wearing your book shirt? <laughs> of course. All right, fine. I'll wear something else. Um, but yeah, so Rob will be the guy in the book shirt and the hat. I will be the guy standing next to Rob. Um, we're gonna MC. We're gonna introduce some guys. I'm looking forward to meeting some of these writers who we haven't met. I'm looking forward to carpooling down with uh, with Kevin Helmick. Um, always a good time with that guy. So uh, be a lot of fun. That's right, and maybe we'll even podcast it as episodes of Booked. Are we doing it live on YouTube? Um, we'll see. Okay. More to come on that. More to come. Um, that's it. But next, do you know what the next episode is? Yes, I do. Actually, it's the Christmas Extravaganza Spectacular featuring uh, guests, hosts, Jesse Lawrence and Amanda Gowan again. Um, and our review of the Human Santipede. Yep. Can I tell them what else we're doing during this episode? Not, not that that's not exciting enough. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good idea. So I don't know how much fun this is going to be for the listeners, but I got to tell you, for us, I think it's going to be a goddamn blast. Um, Amanda had the idea that we would do a Secret Santa, which apparently she didn't understand how that worked at all, because that's not what we're doing. But we are doing a gift exchange. The secret part comes in. 
So each one of the four of us has sent gifts to the other three. Um, we will be opening those on the podcast, so that'll be at least 45 minutes of fun there. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no idea. Right now I am staring at a package from Jesse Lawrence that arrived because um, Jesse was, like, on it. Like, we were, like, we're doing this, and, like, yep. the mailman, like, showed up at the door with a package, like, eight minutes later. Yep, me so too. Jesse was relieved that we were going to be doing some kind of gift exchange that so didn't just seem weird that he was just sending stuff, so... Uh, my packages are going out in the mail tomorrow. I have, um, I will say this, here's a little hint. This gift is very, very, very unique. As a matter of fact, only three people in the world will have this um, after you guys receive your gifts. What do you think the percent chance is that Jesse sent everybody Stephen Graham Jones books? <laughs> I, I thought about that. You know, this This could be a book, but I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it is. Right on. Yeah, I think that I'm going to be sending mine out tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, they're supposed to be weird little fun gifts. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. If if Amanda wasn't part of this, I'd guarantee you mine's the weirdest. Um, yeah. but fuck, man, it's hard to out weird Amanda Gowan. That's pretty much impossible. Yeah. So there you go. But uh, so very much looking forward to that. Yes, a review of the Human Santipede. Make of that title what you will. Um, can I just read? Because this is going to be a fucking offensive <laughs> book. I, all I did was I, I downloaded it to um, to my Kindle, and I just opened it up. I, I opened it and went to the very first page. And um, you know, at the beginning of books, sometimes they'll have um, quotes from songs or from other books. Yeah. Uh, my first highlight comes in. No, no highlight has ever come in a book this fast. So there is um, a quote from Herbert Hoover, <laughs> a quote from Robert Heinlein, and the third quote from Finklefoot who I'm going to guess is a character in this book. And the quote that I already highlighted is, elves shouldn't be treated like shit. We're not Mexicans. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where that we're is, at. That is the, uh, the fastest I've ever gotten to highlight something in a book ever. Speaking of, all right, so I had something at work today happen that I wasn't prepared for, but I think I, re- I, I, I recovered quickly. And that was um, a, a coworker of mine asked me what um, she asked me what some of my books with the, uh, the best first lines are, mm-hmm. and it's not something that I ever think about like the craft of the first line of a book. Mm-hmm. So of course my mind goes back to what's the most memorable. Do you have any guesses of what I went with? I don't. Um, the Jason Donnelly book, Gripped. <laughs> So I didn't tell it to her. I I got the book I got the book up on my phone and I, I, I made her read the first line. I came on my cat today again. Mm-hmm. Then that wasn't enough. So I wanted to show her another book that had a really great opening line. So I broke out Debbie Does Monsterland, aka Fuck All Monsters. The wonderful opening line. Ever since she became 50 feet tall, Nancy has been masturbating 50 times as much as usual. <laughs> Is this Was this immediately followed up by a visit to HR? Uh, no. Nope. Okay. All right. Did you get a date? <laughs> also, no. Okay. All right. Well, you can't win any of them. I know. So, um, just a fair warning to anybody who's asking me about favorite first lines. It's not going to be anything not sexual. <laughs> Um, I'm very much looking forward to this episode. Um, as listeners, if you heard our our uh, Booktober, um, what do we call it? Our, our Spooktacular. Yeah. Um, if you've heard that, I'm sure that it will probably be very similar in scope 
um, only covering holiday topics. I also turned over the reins on the planning as uh, if anybody listened, everything I planned to talk about fell flat on the last, um, but that's how we got the, the 45 minute gift giving portion. Just remember that wasn't my idea. <laughs> and I'm going to do uh, some research and trying to share it. We have this ridiculous, uh, Amanda Gowan weird, but also chatty. We have a, a, a Facebook conversation that's been going on since before the spooktacular. And um, I'm going to try and throw some recommendations of things to talk about in there so everybody kind of knows ahead of time <laughs> instead of everybody finding out when we start to record. So That's fair. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more coordinated. People won't be so caught uh, by surprise. Um, that's it. That's what we've got coming up. I know we have a couple other book reviews coming up. We're not going to talk about those just yet. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all we've got, right? Uh, no, dude, you can't forget the triumphant return of Rob putting tables into our notes. Oh, yes, yes. The booked year in review episode where we will do nothing but throw out statistics for 68 long minutes. It's one of the most popular episode types of all of our episodes. Here's what I'm going to say. David James Keaton fucked us on Donnie Books last year. Mm-hmm. By, I think, and I have a suspicion that he actually um, like made his students in his class like vote. like, And that's how he got so many votes. Yeah, wouldn't you? Of course I would. I mean, it's like the smartest sense. thing to yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. So he's still a teacher. There's no chance for anybody else to win Donnie Booked. So I'm just going to assume he won it. And um, instead of doing Donnie Booked as this big kind of progression of voting and everything, uh, we are back to the year in review episode where we just kind of take a look back at what's going on. So um, I get to throw together a bunch of statistics, which I do. I don't know if you know this, Livius, but I keep a spreadsheet throughout the year. I know. That tracks um, a lot of information about the books we talk about. So uh, it makes my life a lot easier when I get to do these year in review episodes. Um, do you want to review last year, too, since we didn't get a chance to? I, he's like, you're reading my mind. I was already thinking that I was probably going to throw in some makeup <laughs> statistics for last year since we skipped it. Uh, maybe Rob I'll and actually... I are like an old married couple. Like, we don't even have to have conversations. We already <laughs> we, we, we can have them without speaking. Yep. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I always like kind of doing a, like a little bit of a look back. We can we can talk about some crazy milestones that we've hit recently, but over the, the course of the whole year. Um because a lot of new stuff's happened, but we've hit some big milestones as well. Yep. So that you'll have all of that to look forward to in the month of December. Uh, with all that, I think we'll only be reviewing one book this month. <laughs> all the yeah. other stuff we've got going <laughs> on. If that's the case, I have a good idea. I know. I think I know what book that is. So, I mean, outside of The Human Centipede, which is a book review, it's going to be abbreviated because there's going to be four of us. So, but uh, we will review that. We have another book we'll review, and then we'll do a bunch of fun shit, and that'll take us right into 2015, the year of the booked. That's right. And dodgeball tournaments, traveling, jet, Dodge. jet setting. Dodgeball. Have we had, have we heard anything on dodgeball? I mean, has anybody reached out and been like, fuck yeah, we want to do that? <laughs> Fucking crickets, man. <laughs> it's funny, because everybody I've sent a message to like in the last week, I've just been like, hey... And I get no responses. <laughs> you know, you can see that they've seen your message. They're just not responding to it. I mean, you got to factor in the holiday. Yeah. I think it's because they're afraid they're going to be asked to play dodgeball. 
And here's the whole thing. If for some reason we can't get together, we're going to go to AWP. I'm bringing a dodgeball. We're just going to be at like a reading. I'm just going to hit someone with it and be like, you're out. The gorilla dodgeball? Expanded rules, man. If you can't get them to come to the court, we will just, here's what we do. We will pick, we will pick teams <laughs> right on this podcast. <laughs> and just wherever you find them. Oh God, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a blast. One way or the other, there will be dodgeball. So. That's right. Hey, you know what I got in the mail recently? Speaking of stuff from Jesse. Uh no, um I got my f- my print copy of the last projector by David James Keaton. The reason I want to bring this up is a it's an awesome book. It's a hardcover. It looks very nice and everything like that. But he actually sent evidence. So on a previous episode uh, where uh, we reviewed the last projector and David was on, he was talking about the uh, the bum that lives in his basement, the homeless guy. Did you look well, he's at not, He's not homeless. He lives in his basement. That's right. Yeah. So you haven't, Livius, uh, Livius's copy came to, to me as well, and I haven't given it to him yet. But uh, did I tell you about this, Livius? No. No, you didn't. All right. So I'm opening up my book now. Inside my book is a receipt from Walgreens from Louisville, Kentucky for salted peanuts, which was $2 total, and he paid with cash. The peanut receipt, as promised. That was the one that was in my book, Livius. In your book, um, it's uh, it's a it's the cutout from the burnt book about men and and monkeys or whatever. <laughs> so you actually have the damaged page from the men, men and monkeys book. Very nice. I um, been thinking a lot about that, and I think that David James Keaton is the guy who's living in his basement. <laughs> All along, he's the one. I think at the end of this story, when we get to see all the flashbacks, like we'll see. All, he's yeah. like the Tyler Durden. Yep, yep. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll we'll, we'll get to see all of it. But I think that's what's happening because you know David James Keaton sounds like he'd buy salted peanuts at a Walgreens. Yeah, it's almost a guarantee. I think that's all we can really possibly even think of to talk about this week. God, we can't even stretch this into an hour without another without a guest. <laughs> What's happening yeah. to this podcast? That's okay. We'll do two hours on the next episode. Hell yeah, we will at least. At least two hours. Um, so, once again, come back for all that fun stuff we talked about. But definitely right now, once you're done or even before you're done, because we are the generation of multitasking, go to patreon.com slash booked and pledge at least a dollar a month that'll get you the free content and some really fun stuff uh rewards and stuff for our regular contributors and um other stuff as we build milestone goals and stuff as well cool until next time i'm livia snedden and i'm rob olson keep reading